welcome to the No Picks After Dark Podcast. I'm your host, Aaron Dante. Today we have a special guest hanging out in the pod. It's my homeboy, good friend, best friend, Craig. How you doing today, Craig? Hello, everybody. This is Craig Hammond. All right, all right. Craig, um, him and I, we've had some fun times, some crazy trips, and uh, him and I were talking about just sports in general. We both are avid fans of sports, and we both played sports in high school, some of us collegiately. And uh, he was telling me this crazy story that I think that our viewers should really hear and understand how hard it is coming up in the sports world when sports world doesn't look anything like you at all. Um, Craig, so what sport are we talking about? Let the viewers know. We're, we're talking about the sport of lacrosse. Okay, so tell me about like lacrosse. How did you get interested into it? How did you get involved with lacrosse? Well, being from the Baltimore area, um, even in the black community, you you were already aware of lacrosse, and you know you at least had a, a sense of that. That's a, a, a option for sports. Um, however, you know. Having access to lacrosse equipment is, uh, you know, it's a different story. Didn't really have lacrosse equipment. Um, ended up getting in trouble in the local school. I already had knowledge of lacrosse, and my mother decided to take me to a school that was about an hour away. And, you know, they played lacrosse there. I already played lacrosse, so, you know. So, so what made you, I mean, I don't know too many. So this is back in the 90s, early yes, 2000s? So, 90s. Okay, uh-huh. so, I mean... Lacrosse, as far as seeing an African American player in there, was probably unheard of. The only person really you knew of was Jim Brown, who played lacrosse that I knew of at that point. Well, at least in the school system, see, it starts in the school systems. In the elementary school, if they um, you know, make it mandatory that you at least learn all sports, lacrosse was included in the Baltimore area, so that was fine. I already knew what lacrosse was. Now, had I played it, you know, Pop Warner or, or the local team, no, but I, I definitely knew exactly what lacrosse was, you know, even before I knew who Jim Brown was. Heard about him, but didn't know exactly. So I got into it and I went to this school Um, and ended up being out in Howard County. I went there for two years and I learned how to play Um, and I really took an interest to it. So my parents didn't shy away from it because we come from a, a, a family of education you know, as far back as my, my grandparents, who, which was unheard of at the time, they both got their master's degree. My parents got their master's degree, you know. So they pushed lacrosse because it was another avenue besides just football. I was already playing football, basketball, played baseball. I was I excelled at all sports. However, they wanted me to push at lacrosse because at the end of the day, if you go to a lacrosse school in the collegiate um level you you will go to uh, a top school okay so they so your parents pushed lacrosse for you and you enjoyed it did you enjoy it when you first started did you was that was it something to do was it something for to keep you in shape i mean what was your first love before lacrosse uh i loved football because i loved to hit and i really got into it because i was aggressive as a kid so they wanted me to have an outlet um Recently, my grandparents had passed when I first started playing football, so I needed another outlet besides just football season. And, you know, honestly, lacrosse is first love. Love at first sight. Same thing as football. I couldn't go wrong with either one. I couldn't really choose, but I played lacrosse every day. Wow, okay. So you, um, so let's fast forward. You at Howard County School, 
mm-hmm. playing lacrosse, and then you moved on to a diff- different school, correct? So, so that was in elementary. That was in fourth and fifth grade, okay. and I would play on like Heroes Lacrosse or whatever local team, and I would always be the starter, first string, and I was killing it. So. They knew my name by the time I was in sixth grade. I was already traveling to Canada to play for a couple of weeks to play for this team and that team. And it it, it was a transition. It was, you know, at the time I didn't know what I was doing. But, you know, eventually coaches start taking notice and I was playing on all the select teams and I made every team I could possibly find. And, you know, they essentially told my parents that if he doesn't go to jail or get, you know, you know, kicked out of school, he'll play Division One. I. I knew that by sixth grade. Wow, no so, question. So those are your options in life, pretty much. You, you either you get, if you made the wrong turn, you wouldn't be here talking with us today. Exactly. So you yeah. chose the outlet of playing lacrosse and having that as a place for you to release all your stress and whatever other things you had going on in your life. Yeah, it's it, it's basically okay. you know they were saying treat your kid like an investment because he's. He's talented, and we haven't seen this type of talent in a while. So just, you know, that was reassuring for me in a sense. But, you know, in another way, you're still young. You don't really see foresee high school and all this stuff. I'm, I'm only in sixth grade. You know, I'm not, I'm not really thinking that, you know, I'm just really just trying to dominate every time I get on the field. And that was my goal in any sport. So we move on from sixth grade to – we're in middle school at this point, mm-hmm. and where are you, what are you, what is going on now? Okay, I'm still getting in trouble. I'm still hanging out in the streets. I'm hanging with the wrong crowd. I'm in Baltimore. Um, you know, life is starting to change for me and take a turn for the worse. Uh, situations happen, and I end up at my dad's house, eighth grade. And so I gave up all hope in life of ever playing the sport of lacrosse again because my dad is in a predominantly African-American community. Uh, he resided in Prince George's County. I went to schools in Prince George's County to Black, finish it. Black Beverly Hills. 100%. Okay. I, I, my middle school had 7th and 8th grade, and we had 3,500 kids. 7th and 8th grade. There was no room on the buses. There was fights and jumping every day. There was all types of activity going on, everything that you can name, and that's not for fake. So... I gave up on even playing lacrosse. I was going to play football and basketball, you know? It, it was just, wasn't, there wasn't a lacrosse over there. It was like, what is that? So, and that's only like 45 minutes down the road, but they don't know. So, <clears throat> next thing you know, I'm finished with middle school because I moved in the middle of the year overnight. So, somehow, I, I my parents found a school in the District of Columbia, which was down the street, but District of Columbia and... I don't know how my grades were terrible, but they accepted me. Um, it was Archbishop Carroll, the school of, of uh, John Thompson, the school of Lawrence Moton, school of Marvin Graves. So it had a rich tradition of football, Moss Collins. I mean, every, I mean, it was a top, it was a number one football school in the country at one time. And I, I knew nothing about it. So I'm thinking that, well, it's a private school. It's got to have a lacrosse team. And my dreams are crushed again because it did. So where do you go from there? You could be a typical kid who plays football, basketball again. Which I did. And mm-hmm. where does lacrosse come back to Okay, so I got to give you the whole thing. So basically, uh, I, at ninth grade, I was captain of the football team. We were on an unaffiliated football team at Archbishop Carroll. 
which was very big because we were trying to bring football back. I ended up going to play and tr- ran track there. We were on the top 10 nationally ranked track team in the country. We won the track championship. And my athletic director had decided that it was time, you know, just to sit down and talk like on, you know, extra strategy, you know, things like that. And I just sat down to talk with him. And, and he he essentially says, you know, you know, you're going to go to your sophomore year as, you know, a leader in the school, blah, 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 you know, any, any concerns, anything, you know. And I said, yeah, we don't have a lacrosse team. I said, you get me a coach. You get me some, you know, I'll find the people. Just get somebody in here. I'll get you in the paper. We'll get more publicity. We'll be back on the map. And and with the clout of being a star on the football team and a producing person on a national championship track team, that's how I was able to, he he listened to what I said because I'm next. I'm up next. So do you think it's interesting that NAFLAG director is listening to a 15 or 16-year-old kid. 14. 14-year-old kid. Yeah. I mean, I, mean, I, I mean, gave him all the credit in the world for that. If you look back at it, do you think that's some crazy <laughs> Wow. <ass>? Yeah. Wow. <laughs> I won you a championship. I helped win you a championship. We hadn't had a championship football in our school in so long. And we really were striving to try to do something great at Carroll High School, which has a very bad reputation, and I'm not saying undeservingly, but at the time, it was a street academy. It was anybody could go there. You know, maybe some kids just couldn't afford another school, but most kids were there because they got kicked out of D.C. public school. <laughs> so we having a lot of other issuations going on there. <laughs> so A.D. gets you a lacrosse team. Well, he gets a coach in there, and we sit here like, he says, that this, this, there was two other kids that played lacrosse, um, uh, George Queen, uh, Brandon Best, and we all were kind of buddies anyway. So, because I used to see lacrosse tags on his on his on cars, and I'd be like, "Hey, I'm I'm the young boy," so I'm like, "Yeah, hey, I kick your butt at lacrosse. You can't play no lacrosse." And then we would play each other, and they'd be like, "Oh, okay, this kid got game." So, anyway, we all sat down and met with these coaches. It was um, Bruce Bashick, uh Coach Green, Alex Green, and uh, uh, Coach Behor. And basically, you know, we just sat there and talked about things. They hadn't even seen us play. They hadn't seen nobody play. So and where I, did you get all these people from? I mean, I know you No, got, the, the, the athletic director did this. Okay. You talking about the, 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 the players? Yeah, how did you get all these players if you only had three? Oh, guys? I got clout. I mean, I got clout. I'm a bully in school. Yeah. I'm not I'm not the good, I'm not the shiny two-shoes. I'm, I... I am. I, I, I'm not the goody two shoes. You know, I'm, I'm the person that I can get people to follow what I'm saying. They, they, you, you going to come play. If you play football, you want another contact sport. We got lacrosse. You play basketball. You want to play something similar. We got lacrosse. It's another way, another avenue. I can get you into school, get you a scholarship. So the first year of lacrosse at your school, how did that go? I guess my perspective was. You know, we we got in the, the Washington Post for having the first black school since Morgan State Bears, where my dad attended and was part of the lacrosse there. So it was amazing. It was big. But honestly, I had one goal and one goal only is play for my freedom. When that whistle blew, it was just like play for your freedom. So I was on a different mission. And you know, some people wanted to, you know, possibly do this and possibly do that. But it was not fair competition. I dominated. So when you went to 
other private schools to play them who had a little bit more money than you guys, mm-hmm. had a little bit more money on equipment, mm-hmm. and probably better training. How did you fare, and what did other coaches say to you? And what? Oh now? wow! Can you come to my school? Can you come? Can you leave right now? I mean, my equipment. Okay, our helmets and stuff. I had my own helmet that just had the emblems on it. So they would ask me to play for their summer leagues. They knew how I was by probably like the third game. I made all conference first year. I was flying. I was scoring six six goals here, five goals here, thirteen points the next day. I'm playing like. This is my last game because in my mind, when I leave that field, I'm dodging bullets, real bullets, not 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 for fake. So I know, like, play like it's my last day every game. And nobody taught me that. That's just what I had. That's what I felt. So uh, let's give this the viewers understanding. You're both your parents. And I make sure correct me if I'm wrong. Both have master's degrees. Oh, yeah. Okay. And as the viewers are listening, they're trying to figure out, hey, this guy's talking about dodging bullets, but he got two educated parents. How is this even happening? How does it, so, so, you know, you don't have to get in death, but you understand where I'm coming from on that. Okay. So, I mean, in our community, you know, I, I went from when my parents graduated, they were a lot older. So the neighborhood that they bought into that they thought was going to be a certain way by the time that I came up, you know, drug deal, you know, everybody's shooting and killing your friends are dying. I mean, by the time I was in sophomore at in high school, I had already had four friends shot and killed by 15 years old. Mm-hmm. The first day of school, somebody was shot in school. In school, my first day. Now, I had already been at the school because of playing football, but because you start in the summer. But the first day of school, by lunch, somebody was shot. So I already knew what time it is. Thank you for giving the viewers just a a quick background of just how, just so they they can understand. So we're going to our senior high school, and you are determined to get out of the situation you're in right now. Your meal ticket is lacrosse. What colleges, and you don't have to name them. You don't have to name them. Um, It's up to you. But how many colleges were recruiting you at this point? So again, let's, let's go back to the coaches that we had. The coaches that I had were connected to the Maryland area. So the biggest draw to me was, any 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 summer program that I, it's all about who I played for in the summer, so the camps and things like that. So it was a lot of local coaches. Um, you can go from Mount Saint Mary's, Georgetown University was my number one group. They had already they had been trying to get me since sophomore year. So um, and then all the way up to you know you know Hobart, you know you know uh, Hobart, upstate New York. Uh, I don't know. Every it, it, I, I didn't really have a school that really wasn't interested. Honestly. So going into that final stages, I mean, mm-hmm. what made you go to the first school you wanted? What made you go to this school, to Hobart? Okay. So the connection was that Hobart was like the sister brother school of Georgetown. Now, I had a full ride to any school I really wanted to, but... The coaches that had been dealing with me since the sophomore year, like on the off season, 
they would stop in the school, check on me. They always were there. So I figured that it would be a good move to go ahead and give them a chance. And they said they wanted to turn the program into a national championship program again. And the coach of Georgetown used to coach Hobart. So his assistant coaches used to play at Hobart. Then they used to coach at Georgetown. They decided to go back to Hobart, the assistants, and be head coaches. So I figured that that was a good move. All right, so... Full scholarship. Paid nothing. So you end up going to Hobart in the middle of nowhere. Geneva, correct? Mm -hmm. Geneva, New York. Mm -hmm. And it has to be a cultural cultural shock because you're going to school in D.C., Chocolate City. Mm -hmm. And you're going up to Hobart where it snows a lot up there. It's a... It is. It is. It's a... Different culture change. I think this is the most important thing right here is that the the naiveness of thinking that you would get a fair shake, a fair opportunity, just because you go somewhere that says they want to, you know, well, I I, I put the cultural race, I put all that aside and thinking like, oh, it's going to be, you know, it is going to be what it's going to be. It's going to be no problem. You know, we... We're going we're gonna to win this lacrosse. That's what we're up here for. We're going to win this together. And what year is this at? What year? Give us a year. 2002. Okay, so I want everybody to remember that. It's 2002. Young man going up to Hobart, Geneva, New York. And those who don't know, again, Geneva is in the middle of nowhere. So go ahead. So I knew I, knew I made a major mistake within the first 24 hours. Major. Big mistake. Now you didn't go up there and visit, and I did visit. Okay. But you know, you can go, you can go visit. You see them play a little, little scrimmage here and there. You go, and everybody says hi. But it's a big difference when you're competing against everybody. And you come up there to, I'm, I didn't come in there to, to just be a player on the team. I not come. This listen, I, I avoided a whole lot of stuff to get to play lacrosse in college. I mean, a lot of stuff. I'm talking about incarceration. I'm talking about being stopped and. At Byron Manor in the middle of the night. You know, I mean, there's a lot of stuff that I... I, I so you've come a long way. Mm-hmm. So tell me, first... I don't know. Tell me how lacrosse works. I mean, first semester or summer ball? No, it starts it in fall. Yeah. Fall ball. That's when I knew I made a mistake. Okay, so what happened? What happens? One of the coaches that had been recruiting me, but I really hadn't been around him, he he said to me, you know, I, the reason I signed, they said, you'll, you'll start off... As a two-way player, meaning defense and offense, and then you'll primarily be our offensive star. I got there, and he told me, "You, you know, we got you here to play defense, and that's what it is." So they lied. Oh yeah, and then it got worse and worse and worse and worse. So give us one, give us a couple stories. Give us a story or two of, of a Hobart that you know that really messed with you mentally. And, you know, just had you in a different mindset while you're up there. Um, I mean, even off of the field, the field was bad enough. Some of the teammates were very cool. The older guys were very cool. I'll say that. Um, the senior class was very cool down to earth. You know, I, I stayed and ma- I maintained contact with a lot of them. However, um, things like rules. So at Hobart, the rule was every freshman is to escort a recruit that's in high school around the school. And I asked, because somehow I guess I got skipped. 
So I asked, I said, uh, coach, uh, I didn't get to walk anybody and, you know, be an ambassador for the school. You know, I, I got some of the best grades on the team. I keep my nose clean, no punt. So I don't understand why I didn't get a, a, a you know, somebody to walk around the school. And I asked him, I said, don't forget me. You know, I really, I really would take honor in showing somebody this school, you know. And then I never got that. And so sophomore year came and I reminded him. You know, last year I, I was the only freshman not to have somebody. Well, oh, 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 sorry, Craig. I got you. And again, that never happened. Now, how was your playing time up there? I started as a freshman as defensive midi. And the longer we got into season, I mean, I was I, my athletic ability was off the charts at the time. So I did everything. I was preparing my body. I wasn't drinking. I wasn't hanging out. You know, honestly, it, it it started to dwindle because they had their own plan. And that's when I started to see that I was just a a backup plan, is to say the least, you know. Uh, How does that affect you as an athlete who has been to been the top dog lacrosse? <laughs> How does that handle? How does that deal with your psyche? That is affects your psyche so much that I ended up calling sophomores and juniors at my previous high school to ask them, was I even good at the sport? Because remember, I built up the I helped build up the District of Columbia African-American lacrosse. My school was African-American, 100 percent African-American, and we had a lacrosse team. We took schools that didn't have lacrosse, lacrosse sticks. We went around teaching lacrosse. So a lot of kids look up to me as the shining star because I got the highest, you know, the biggest, I went to the biggest top school in lacrosse. So I felt like a failure. I felt like I let everybody down. And, and my, 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 my friends, the ones I used to mentor would have to mentor me because I'm, I'm going crazy. I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. My parents are just trying to get me to hold on for dear life. I mean, I, I feel like the your psyche, your all your they they've crushed your hopes, your dreams, everything, and they mentally broke you down. Everything as a, as, a, as a human being, everything. Every time I would see them in the hallway, the things they would say in front of people who acknowledge that that was the worst thing they ever heard. And you know, hearing that, it makes you feel like you're just another number on a scholarship. So what do you? So well, what the you, quote was the quote was. When I did see the head coach with another an, uh, another recruit, I said, hey, coach, how you doing? I was walking to the cafeteria. And he laughs and says to the recruit and the recruit's parents, I remember like yesterday, he says, this is Craig, obviously not one of our typical lacrosse players. He's one of our inner city guys. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Quote. Wow. Wow. Oof. I, I, I don't know how to respond to that at this moment, but uh, as how old are you at this point when you hear this? How old? Like 19. Wow. And I at, didn't feel it didn't sit good. At that point, was it time to go? It was, but you're so frightened. You see all this stuff. I mean, you know, you see all this stuff about playing smart. You know, I consulted with my grandfather. My grandfather was from the old school and he said, you know, stick, stick through, stick through. Don't, 
don't let them make you quit. But something told me, something told me, no, 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 no. This can't be my song. What do you, you say to people who say, what is this guy complaining about? He ain't he, that good. He, well, even better, he's a free ride. Mm-hmm. Free ride to a private educational school. Well, to me, that I, I feel like, I feel like that's the biggest joke ever because I don't take for granted what family I came from and the blessings that I was able to have just having an educated background. And there's a lot of first times and second times in families, and I respect that too. But at the end of the day, you know, I wasn't going to let them take, you know, my chance because I'm not saying school was a given because I went through a lot to get there and I went a different route than my whole family, but I did get there. So to say that, you know, I owe them something is crazy to me. So what I'm going to do, folks, is we're going to wrap this part up right now to give you guys a little teaser for part two. And uh, we're going to find out what happened to Craig Hammond. We sign off on No Picks After Dark Podcast.